Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the 0.03xG of the podcast, and I'm joined by the big chance of the podcast, Joe Hill, and proper football man Tom Woodhead. Guys, how are we feeling? Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah, I was thinking this morning of some uh, some positive spins on it and I was thinking before the Fulham game, if you'd told me that we'd get four points from the next two games, I probably would have thought the results would be the other way around, but I think I would still take it. So that's quite positive from me. Yeah, because we've uh, played three games for a start, so well, uh, yeah. rather than two. So. <laughs> How about you, Tom? Yeah, I think um, it's important to remember that we didn't lose last night, which, uh, you know, it's sort of it can feel a bit like a loss when you draw a game like that, but that could be an important point at the end of the season. Mm. Yeah, it does take us a point away from uh, finishing on level points as as Brentford are if they win. Um, so, And with their goal difference being as it is, it's good to have that extra point uh, is one way of looking at it. I also think, you know, yes, it's another unlucky result, but again, it's another case of doing everything you need to do. And over the course of the next six games, if you keep doing that, then... It just seems impossible that it could it could not turn out for the better. But, you know, these are things that we talk about all the time. And, um, yeah, there's no point really dwelling on that. Uh, I thought the best way of starting, really, was having some positive thoughts. So I'm trying to glean some um, some of the uh, more positive aspects of the game out of, uh, out of the outset. So Simon Harrow says, one way I've been able to keep, he puts in open brackets, closed brackets, relatively calm so far about Leeds United is to work out the magic number to promotion as they do in baseball. So take the number of points left to play for minus the number of points lead, uh, number of points lead we have over third. If we win, the magic number goes down by three. If third loses, the magic number also goes down by three. Right now, the magic number is 12, which is 18 minus six. Uh, helps me anyway. So I think the, the, the principle there is once that number gets down to zero, leads are promoted. Um, I would say, though, again, to reiterate, um, do we need to take into account the uh, goal difference there? 
as well so it may be slightly different with goal difference but I do think that's a good way of, of thinking about it once that number is down to 12 then uh, then Leeds will be promoted um, uh, sorry down to zero then that number uh, then Leeds will be promoted so there's a positive way of looking at it um, Daniel Moroni friend of the podcast says haven't seen much appreciation for the Alioski assist great pass completely completely caught the Luton defence off guard expecting the cross uh, he asks how has Alioski affected the attacking performance in the last two games as a winger against Fulham and slightly deeper yesterday I think that's a, a good place to start I think it was a, another interesting performance from Alioski he sort of he definitely gives us something we talk about not having creative players in this team really but he does give something just through his just his just pure um, off the wall craziness really so anyone want to jump in and, and talk a little bit about Alioski in the last couple of games yeah I I, th- I thought he made a big positive impact in both games um, just about the assist I I at the time certainly thought that he was actually trying to pass it to Bamford and slightly miskicked it rather than aiming that pass to Dallas but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt hmm. I guess um, but yeah I think I think just exactly what you say like he brings a an element of spontaneity and unpredictability to the attack that not a lot of our other players do because yeah I mean his brain is obviously just wired differently to most people isn't it so but what what I, I it did make me think I, I really enjoyed the configuration of our back four um, well it was sort of a back four back three hybrid wasn't it like in the second half last night um, and if I, it did make me think if we're playing some of the these uber defensive teams like were the starting ailing at centre back mm-hmm. might be something we should look at more often because it, that gives us two players who can bring the ball out from centre back really well and he can effect- effectively become an auxiliary attacker when he plays that mm-hmm. way so you know w- when no one's attacking us anyway it might be something to look at I agree I mean I thought the team was unbelievably attacking minded in the second half when you think that really the only centre-back there was Ben White. And then you had Ailing, Dallas, Alioski, who were all attacking-minded. Um, and then in the middle, you had Hernandez and Roberts, who are sort of can both play in the number 10 role. And uh, yeah, it was. I thought it was quite a good way of just saying to Luton, right, we're going to bring everything we've got. Because they really didn't pose much of a threat. They had the one goal, which was unbelievable um what a goal but aside from that yeah I think it's a great it's a great uh thing to have up our sleeve to put Ailing at centre back and really go for it of course it sounds like Dallas is injured it sounded like from the post-match presser that he's definitely not going to be fit for Blackburn so you know immediately we find a useful little Mm -hmm. configuration and we can't use it (laughs) yeah and you know this is a drum that I bang on uh quite regularly but we really do have a thin squad, and I I think what worries me about this squad is that, like you say, as soon as as soon as we get a nice configuration, you think you know this is this is good. We've got what we want, where we want. It does feel as though someone gets in, especially going to happen in the next few weeks with games coming at the 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 speed that they're coming and fr- frequency that they're coming. Um, but yeah, I think the the idea of playing Ailing as a centre back is interesting. I think Bielsa has been remarkably tactically flexible in terms of positioning. I think since we've come back from the the break, there's been a few things that we've seen that we just haven't really seen for the rest of the season. So um, we've seen Jack Harrison playing on the right a little bit more. We saw um, the inversion of the wingers yesterday. So Harrison and Costa swapped sides for a little bit. Um, any any thoughts on Bielsa's tactical flexibility at, at the moment? I thought that the um, the swapping of the wingers last night felt a bit more like a punt than a particularly well thought out and planned thing. And I don't think Costa liked it over on the left at all. Um, he seemed really unsure what to do. Uh, in that, 
in completely the opposite way to Harrison, who always seems to know where he needs to be when he's playing on the left. So, but yeah, I, I definitely agree that Bielsa seems to be trying more um, esoteric kind of changes than he was earlier on in the season, and it's definitely interesting. Uh, whether it's a sign of him not, you know been quite sure of what we need to do I'm not sure but uh it, it's definitely interesting to watch and especially against Fulham when it comes off it's you know it's it's exciting as well yeah it might be interesting to talk a little bit about Costa I think there's a, quite a lot of frustration out there at the moment with Costa and Josh put up a thread this morning on the on the Twitter feed just looking at um Costa's xg map basically or shot map and I think what's so interesting about that is that um he compares him to Brian and Bemo, who has a similar XG figure, but has overperformed it nearly to the tune of double, if not to the tune of double. Um, whereas um, Costa, I think, is for something like fifty percent, 58% underneath his um, expected goals total. So he's scored three from about seven, 7.5 or something like that. Joe, frustrations with, with Costa, how much of it comes down to um, the fact that we're playing against sides who just sit deep against us? I'm not sure if it does come down to that or not because he didn't seem he didn't seem on the ball uh, against Fulham either, and they were coming out to attack us. Um, I was particularly frustrated with him last night. Um, I thought his header in the in the last sort of five minutes was a great opportunity, and I know Bamford had one too. Um, and it just looked like one of those that if you get your head on it, it's and direct it towards the goal that because of the power that's going to be generated. And you're so close in that it's just going to be a, a guaranteed goal. And I saw that they were. There's talk of them uh, looking at the floodlights and uh, the ball getting lost in the floodlights. And uh, it's just quite frustrating to read all all that kind of thing. And yeah, I don't think Costa's really been that sharp since the restart. And uh, luckily for us, Ali, when Alioski's come on, he's he's been that sort of burst of energy that we've been lacking on the left hand side. Mm. Yeah, just actually, maybe we should touch on those two chances that you've mentioned there, the Helder Costa one and the Patrick Bamford one. I've got the InfoGoal shot map in front of me and they ranked the Helder Costa chance at 0.23, so 23% um, chance quality, which... You know that's it's a tough it's a tough one it's it's from around the penalty areas uh, penalty spot sorry it's slightly to the right um, and it you know Helder Costa is not a header of the ball um, he's not the player you want on that chance um, there's been lots of talk about luminosity um, someone asked us whether or not we had any data on um, goals prevented by luminosity um, tongue in cheek obviously um, we don't have the Patrick Bamford chance because. Uh, we don't <laughs> because he didn't take it <laughs> he didn't get anything on it so it doesn't register as a chance so I mean that that for me that was a big chance um Helder Costa's not so much I think Bamford's was probably probably up there probably 0.4 ish maybe maybe even a little bit higher just because it felt like he was in front of his man and it was a sort of a free header towards goal um so yeah with those two things in mind um I, I do think that, you know, one of the reasons I think we like to talk about XG is because it's almost in, invariably true that we will end up um, over-rating chances. We think that chances are much better than they actually are. So, for example, Patrick Bamford's chance against Fulham was ranked at 004 uh, XG, so 4, 4%, 4, 4 times in 100. Now, you can you can quibble with the figures the the model the mo- xg models don't work great in individual um, f- figures because the, you will get outlier shots so we had the famous um 
instance earlier in the season when we called the 0.03 xg um chance because that was what opta pumped out of their machine but opta's model didn't take into account goalkeeper positioning in that one but with with bamford's one it, it clearly did so it's not a bamford's chance which you may think well you know maybe maybe two two times in ten one in five he puts that in but actually the models have him and and that the models are based on historical data so every every chance that's been taken from that spot with the various variables in place um you would expect that to go in four times out of a hundred so i think it's good it's good to remind ourselves that you know um these these are difficult chances um and yes these are elite footballers so you would expect them to be above the average chance um conversion rate on these but um I think the Costa one in particular was just that was just the the icing on the cake really. I think it's easy to get frustrated about that one. The Bamford one is much more unforgivable because you'd be expecting Bamford to at least hit the the ball, let alone the target in that situation. But let's focus on the positives. Um, while we're on the subject of XG, um, we we should just go over the the sort of age old debate. You know, this is another game where Leeds have over uh, underperformed their XG and their opponents have uh, overperformed. So Leeds put up a figure of, according to Infogol, who use Opta data of one point seven seven XG. If you add on Bamford's chance, you're looking at over two XG there with with only one goal to show for it. Um, Luton, on the other hand, have three shots. After this 19th minute, they put up one shot, which is the Harry Cornick chance from relatively um, far out. Uh, we should we should talk about that chance at some point. But looking at the Leeds shot map, I mean, there's there's good chances. We scored our best chance. Um, so Dallas's chance was given a probability of 0.35, which makes it a big chance. Um, there wasn't really anything big given after that, according to... Um, Opta, although um, I did notice that a few places had us down as having five big chances, so there is a there is an XG model out there that is giving giving the chance. So I'm looking at there's a Helder Costa one at the at the back post after the free kick, and then there's the Alioski one off that free kick. So so Calvin takes a free kick, Alioski hits it straight at Simon, Simon Sluger, um, and then um, Costa puts the resulting rebound wide. Um, I suspect some models will have had those as big chances as well and probably held Acosta's one as a big chance there was an Alioski header at the back post on the left um, where if he'd have put it across it might have been a bit more dangerous but I think you know Alioski's quite small it was probably just a case of him trying to get anything on it um, but these these chances may well have been um, ranked as big chances um, but yeah so a couple of questions just to get us going Darren Driver says have we ever managed to outperform our XG in two consecutive games the answer is no not this season we haven't done that um, which is worrying. Um, and then Jim Moran says, has there ever been a more wasteful side in history anywhere? A team with this much possession, chances created that scored so few winners or conceded so many from so few chances. The only stat that matters isn't good enough. Uh, guys, what's your thinking on, on this whole XG debacle? I don't want to dwell on it because, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's a model. It's um, it's designed to sort of help us assess chance quality rather than for us to say who did or didn't deserve to win. Um, and obviously goals scored is, is more important and we are historically underperforming this. You know, Pat Bamford's something like 11 goals under his XG totals. That is that is worrying. You'd expect him to hit the uh, par uh, and that would, I mean, if he hits par, our goal difference is above Brentford's. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. We get more points and we have a better goal difference. So, Joe, let's kick off with you. How do you how are you feeling about the whole XG phenomenon that we've seen throughout Marcelo Bielsa's time? 
It's a really interesting one. Um, obviously, at the start of the season, when it happens, uh, you start to underperform. You think, oh, okay, well, this will even out over the course of the season. There'll be games when we win 4-5-0. Um, and there, ha- there have been games when we won 4-0, but we've just consistently underperformed it for two seasons. And um, without without wanting to, to point fingers, um, it does sort of make me think, I wonder if Bamford is good enough for the Premier League. Um, when when we get there, because games like last night, it's just we had I think we had twenty three shots, nine on target, and uh, compared to the Fulham game, I think we had ten shots in the Fulham game and only five on target, and we managed to score three. So it's it's really frustrating actually, and to read that you know we should have been above two xg, um, yeah, it's just quite frustrating to wake up to. <laughs> There are certain like phenomena that sort of combine and and like partially explain this. For example, Bamford seems to get a lot of his chances on his right foot, and he doesn't have a right foot, um, which is a problem. And I I don't know, but I'm guessing XG doesn't take that into account. A player being on their wrong foot depends on the model. Some models do right. for sure. Right. Um, some models will take into account whether or not a, sh- a shot is off the floor or on the floor. Mm. Um, it will look at how many defenders are between the goal and and you um it will look at the goalkeeper positioning but again it depends on the model and presumably though even if it does take that into account it's not going to take into account how good the player is with their off foot because that's subjective anyway so um and costa as well feels like he gets chances but he's shown that he, he is a capable finisher and he's you know when he gets time i think he's actually a really calm finisher um i think he's one of those rare players who is actually the old cliche is oh he had too much time there he you know he's better if he acts on instinct i think costa is a better finisher when he does have time to think um and he's and the chances that he misses tend to be quite snatched and uh, quite quick um i th- and obviously the way we play he's not going to get much time in the box because opposition teams pat the box but i i, I do think Bamford getting a lot of chances on his right foot because he naturally drifts out to the white to the right, and he's obviously told to do that because it helps our overall build up play. But um, I think that is a large not well, it's not a large part maybe, but it, it is it contributes to Bamford's underperformance with XG. One of the interesting things that I've heard is that Brentford have some kind of a magic stats model that they use to assess players um, in their recruitment, and one of the things that they take into account is the concept of ball striking so how well someone hits the ball generally um and there's players that they've turned down because they despite looking good according to the every other variable in their model um the ball striking just isn't quite good enough and i think that's noticeable when we talk about someone like brian and bemo who is is overperforming his xg and we talk all the time here about you know finishing isn't finishing isn't uh, a quality that that you can really or you really need to take into account when you're talking about strikers because there is no statistically significant concept of of finishing a a, a player is just as likely to have a bad season according to xg as they are to have a good season or there's no correlation strong correlation between having a good season one season and having a good season the next but i do think something like ball striking is really interesting because if you talk if you talk about a lot of the players that we have I don't consider many of them good ball strikers. I don't like Bamford. I don't think is a good ball striker. Um, Helder Costa certainly isn't a good ball striker. Um, uh, and then you've got players like Stuart Dallas, Alioski. Alioski can hit a ball. Let's let's be fair. But he, again, he's sort of um, he, he's he's just a, he's he's sort of wild. You don't know what you're getting with him. But if you look through all of our players, like is there anyone really who's a who's a you would describe as being a great ball striker? I think Pablo is probably up there. But again, like. 
Pablo I've watched in warm-ups just clonking top corner shots from um, shooting warm-ups but then you know he doesn't he doesn't the issue with, with Pablo is he's not really getting into the chances to actually be scoring these goals now um, now that he's getting on a bit but anyone got any thoughts on that notion of like ball striking is again it comes to we're going to talk about corners later and I think the same is true of corners and and I think a lot of our xG underperformance just comes down to the fact that yes we get players into good positions but I just don't trust any of our players to con- consistently connect with the ball um, in the same way that you might do with some of the players that that, that um, uh, Brentford have got. So I wondered if anyone had any thoughts on that. I'm I'm just interested as to how Brentford are actually measuring that. Um, uh, I, I just I, I honestly have no idea. Would would you just manually go through and say that was a good strike, that wasn't a good strike for every action a player performs? I suspect it's a scouting thing. I suspect they yeah. have just a, a section on their form that says what would you say about this player's ball mm. striking. They may well have a variable in their model. I don't know. Um, and I, again, that would be there would be an element of subjectiveness in there. There would it would be something like rank this the the, the connection with the ball on a scale of one to 10 um, and then you can sort of roughly build something up from there um, so I'd need to look into that more I'll, I'll ask David Anderson um, next time he's on the podcast to talk about that because um, he's he's the guy who's, who who knows Brentford inside out so uh, but I think it will be something like that it will be a, a subjective assessment which actually over the course of a long time will will result in something like a meaningful stat right and presumably they're getting multiple scouts to rank the same player and things like that to you know ameliorate any kind of wild swings i suspect they'll also have some kind of criteria which is attempting to make it as objective as possible so it's not just sort of like did you feel as Mm. though that was a good ball strike um it will be you know was the power on the shot was the was what was the placement like stuff like that i'm sure but um joe bring you in here how do you how do you feel about this sort of notion that maybe uh our players lack of uh I don't know. I don't know. Maybe efficiency is not is not the right word, but sort of ability to cle- strike the ball cleanly maybe plays into some of our XG woes. I think you're absolutely right. It's um, it's not something that I've really considered too much, but um, just sitting here listening to you, to you guys talk about it, I'm thinking you're absolutely right. I mean, I can't think of a, a good ball striker that we do have in our team. Possibly Hernandez. I think. Douglas has been from set pieces anyway. He seems to really connect with it well. Um, but aside from that, the, the thinking about the goals that we've scored this season and the goals in the past couple of games, there's, they've not been really great connections. Um, and they've not like even Dallas's yesterday wasn't in the corner. It wasn't really a great connection, but um, it just wrong-footed the keeper basically. And I think it's a really interesting thing to think about. Yeah. One final thing on the XG. I've just I just noted down the XG from the last five games uh, goals that we conceded. Now we've barely conceded in the last few um, games, really. Uh, if you if you trace it back, um, so I, I went back twelve games and we'd had six goals in those twelve games um, in open play. There was a penalty as well that Jed Wallace scored against Mill Millwall. Uh, but the goals that we conceded the last five is Harry Cornick, which was zero point zero eight, so fairly low. Junior Hoyler, 0.04 uh, XG. Uh, Robert Glatzel, 0.05. Ben Rama, 0.7. Now, Ben Rama, the Ben Rama chance was the one where Kiko let it under his foot and it just was sitting on the goal line, basically. So that's why that's so high. Um, the Walker chance against Forrest was, you'll remember, that long um, uh, counter-attacking goal where we were pushing hard for an equaliser and then they, they, they basically broke um, and we had that horrible sort of Jack Harrison um, yeah, nightmare that we often get actually in corners. I don't know why we leave him back as a defensive player, but there we go. Um, 
and then yeah, Sami Amiobi, 0.06. So of those uh, of those five, uh, well, six goals there, um, you know, the, you add those six goals up, and it's 1.65 xG, um, and it's resulted in six goals. <laughs> um, if you take the four goals that aren't a counter-attacking goal and and a mess up for Ben Rama, it's 0.23 for four goals, which is it's just um, it's just inconscionable really but I do think we need to talk about that goal Johnny Bradbourne says are a defence actually any good I mean we seem to concede every bloody shot on target are they being made to look good by the midfield and style of play and will they all be exposed in other teams and with another manager Um, there's caveats I would put in there but I do think we need to talk about Ben White's um, defending for that chance Uh, because when you look back at it you know he Ben White he's done everything right to a point he's done everything right and he's forced him wide he's forced him onto his weaker foot uh, but he has not blocked off the route to goal and uh, Cornick manages to curl in a shot shot into sort of nearly the top corner sort of central top-ish of uh, far, far corner of the goal from a position where Ben White should have covered the angle um, which is I think a worry um, so again you know it's, this is the same sort of thing like we, we're conceding based on mistakes but our mistakes seem to be punished unduly. I mean, this is still a 0.08% XG chance. So it's a very low percentage chance. Um, so responses to that, is it... I mean, we, we had Junior Hoyler and uh, Robert Glatzel's goals, which were both the results of mistakes in uh, in attacking transition. Um, well, <laughs> I guess the Cornick mistake wasn't a mistake in attacking transition. It was sort of we overcommitted and then they had a, a fairly easy chance at... at putting the ball out but um yeah tom thoughts on this ben white's defending for that chance it seemed to me like he was afraid to give a penalty away he was he was standing further off than i would have expected him to um i mean it was obviously a great finish so you know if one of our players scored a goal like that i don't think we'd be talking about the defending put it that way but but i i do think white could have got tighter to him and I, I half wonder if Cooper being off Cooper seems to do a lot of instructing with White in in the defensive side and Cooper also tends to be the one who gets tight to players in the box and uh and seems less worried about giving away penalties and sometimes does give away penalties as a result but um yeah I mean yeah White should have got tighter to him I think I think I agree that he he should have got tighter but I do want to give credit to the striker because that I think the finish is is amazing and it's just so weird that the way his body sort of shapes up to it. I think Ben White's looking to either show him down the line on his left foot or he's protecting against him cutting back on his right and then curling one in. And Cornick just seems to not even set himself and just somehow wrap his foot around it from a totally weird angle and it goes in the in the top right and I think Ben White could have been tighter but that was watching the replays it doesn't look like he's setting up to make that shot at all and I would, I'm not surprised that if it caught Ben White off guard yeah he dug it out uh, I think that's the issue right is that is that he's taken he has taken Ben White off guard as you say and um yeah I guess that's that makes it worthy of of, of the goal but it's just another di- disappointment it's, it's, it's sort of again we're getting unduly punished for for minor mistakes, which I mean, this we we did the same. I think with Cardiff when we drew three three, um, we went through the game and just tried to look break down each goal, and you just kind of think, well, yeah, okay, Helder Costa doesn't close down Joe Bennett quickly enough, but he's put it bang on Sean Morrison's head. Um, 
yeah, you know, Pascal Strick's slightly out of position, but Lee Tomlin's just hit the one of the, probably one of the best assists he's ever hit in his life. Yeah, you know, Kiko should probably not have flapped at that chance, but then Lee Tomlin's just dinked the ball into the far post. It's, it's just things like that where you kind of think... Oh, everyone just seems to have their A game when they play against us. And I, I, I suppose that kind of comes down to the fact that, you know, opposition teams probably relish coming and playing Leeds because they are the underdogs and they know that Leeds are gettable at. And I think that sort of plays into the confidence all around. But coming back to Johnny, Johnny's question, is our defence actually any good? I think, I think it's an unfair question, to be honest. I think if you look at the, any defensive metrics, the... Yes, there's little mistakes here and there, but we're barely allowing any box. We allowed three box shots yesterday. Um, we created 16 box shots ourselves. Now, usually that's a fairly good uh, indicator of how well you are attacking slash defending. And if you look through our box shots, we barely give up any box. We gave one box shot up against Mitrovic last week. You know, this is this is good defending. Um, and when you talk about defending as well, I mean, he does mention are we being made to look good by the midfield and style of play? Well, the midfield are also defending, and the style of play is designed to to take into account uh, defensiveness as well so there is you know we we do have that that sort of tendency to to offer people good chances and if we mess up in up um in um transitional phases so like we saw against Cardiff those two goals came because our team was set up to attack and they won the ball uh, in, in that situation with lots of space and they exploited that space but we're you know that comes at a cost the other way as well there's a positive cost to that which is we you know we create more chances and Bielsa is about the process if you create more and better chances than the opposition you've done enough for him so again he'll look at the goal game yesterday and say yeah we've done enough to win that game so I how can I feel bad about it so any thoughts on on defending Tom? I mean, what we haven't really discussed is that a lot of the failure is you can't, it can't just be laid at Ben White's door that goal. I mean, it, it's it's the fault of the midfield for allowing the break to start with. I can't remember exactly where it broke down, but that's how we concede a lot of these chances because of mistakes further up the field. And I think that is is possibly more where the analysis that um, Bielsa and his team are, are doing will lie is how to avoid those mistakes further up the field that lead to the breaks because there were some games especially really on in the season when we had a click and foreshore in the midfield together where we basically didn't allow any breaks like that mm, yeah I'm conscious of time let's move on I want to talk about what we think actually went wrong yesterday because I mean there's an element in which that nothing really went wrong yesterday apart from we gave away a goal a low chance goal um, we know that teams are going to play like this in our in our running certain teams are I don't think all teams are I think there's a tendency amongst the fan base to just assume that every team is going to sit deep I don't think for example Blackburn Rovers will do that next weekend um, but what what do we think could have been done better um, I've just got a few things thrown down here but I'd, I'd be interested to hear you guys first so Joe have you got any suggestions for what went wrong what we could have done better yesterday I mean on the whole I I actually thought it was a it was a good performance I thought we created enough chances for me you know nine shots on target is is massive um we had 40 crosses and i think that was accuracy of 25 percent. so that means you got 10 accurate crosses which is isn't too bad i think f- for me to put it down to one thing it is just the finishing and uh there was there was several quite big chances in the game in, in the first and the second half and I th- it's not that we were that we only created one shot on target or two shots on target it's just that we didn't make the most of the large amount of shots on target that we did have the only things i've got thrown down is a lot of people say we're quite slow 
in transition. I don't necessarily think that that's an issue. I don't think transition transition isn't necessarily about speed. Although I had a conversation with a friend the other day, um, um, guy online, Nathan Clark, who's a, a Spurs fan and um, a very a very interesting tactics thinker. Um, and we were talking about transition, about whether or not it's better. If you can transition quicker, is it necessarily better than transitioning slower? As long as you get the ball into the right areas, uh, is a is a quick transition always better than a slow one um and I, I think there's 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 pros and cons to it obviously a quick transition you're more likely to have the opposition team out of position um but in a slow transition i i think that you you, you also have the opportunity for the team to arrive around the box in the sort of formation that you want them to arrive in as well so i don't think i, I there's plenty of chances where um where you want Leeds to move the ball quicker, but I don't think it necessarily comes down to that. So um, I think one of the things that I noticed yesterday was, was more an issue of rotation, especially in the first half. Um, ball retention, again, we had the issue in, for, for Fulham. We had the issue a little bit as well yesterday. Um, ball retention in sort of dangerous areas. And one of the reasons why I think Pablo is so dangerous when we bring him on is that he is such a... Uh, a peppy player he 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 moves around he's always thinking about space he's always looking to find new space and it feels sometimes as though we we look a little bit dry and stale without him on the field in terms of our interchanges and rotations Um, and those things really help us move the ball down the field especially when teams are sitting tight you have to be able to do those one twos or those third man runs or those fourth man runs where you're just playing the ball between you and then you end up getting the ball in behind and and the 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 opposition being out of uh, position so I had a little bit of um, a question about that. Um, yeah, we've got loads to cover, so I'm just going to try and pick and choose why, wisely. The question about corners, um, what the hell's going on with corners? Again, loads of corners yesterday. I can't remember how many we actually got. But I did run a thread a couple of weeks ago, so it is out of date now because it's quite tricky for me to get hold of the data for this. But the, the, the data that I've got from corners... I think up until the this is up until the Fulham game. So um, season total corner goals: West Brom, Millwall have scored twelve. Uh, the league average is seven point seven five. Leeds have scored five this season, which makes puts them eighteenth in the league. The lowest is Hull and Huddersfield, who have three. In term, in terms of xG, the highest xG from corners is eleven point three five. Leeds have a seven point eight. 8-9 which is the fifth in the league and obviously a lot of that comes this is cumulative xg so we take a lot of corners so we're going to have a higher number there uh, the league average is 6.82 and the lowest is Huddersfield with 4.18 and then in terms of numbers of corners Leeds have, have, have our first in the league with 295 the league average is 200 uh, 200.8 and Charlton have the lowest with 157 so yeah we can we're we're underperforming considerably where where everyone else is largely overperforming according to their xg so that that's frustrating um thoughts on corners tom i think did you throw this one in the in the sheet yeah well i i just thought yesterday some of the short corners we were taking just seemed bizarre like i mean they weren't even short were they we were basically passing it back to the halfway line and we, and we did about you know it felt like four or five of those in a row and i'm i'm, I'm almost wondering were the we were trying to get Luton to think that we were going to do that every time before we started putting the regular corners in. Mm. Um, it almost seemed like a like a deliberate ploy, um, but I, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> no, not really. I think 
in defence of this, I think the reason why Leeds were doing this was because Cooper came off so early. And I think Cooper is basically the only guy we really trust to head, head the ball from a corner. So I think once you get to that situation, you might as well just retain the ball, play it back, try and decompress the defence and then and then set yourselves again. Um, I think it's as simple as that. Joe, any thoughts on corners? I think we need to get a couple of routines in. I do, I do love a good corner routine, but... Um... It just there was a few before half time where Phillips just knocked it to the front post again and again and again, and it might be that you dink it over and go to the back post and then have someone playing it across goal, or you play it along the floor into into someone's feet who's just outside the six yard box or something where the first man would be. Um, just little things like that to change it up, really, because we did look a bit lost. The like Tom was saying, the short corners just didn't work and the regular corners were, well, the deliveries just weren't good enough to even get a chance. Let's not forget that Luton played back three as well, big guys. I mean, Sonny Bradley's a big, big chap. Um, Matty Pearson's a big dude. So again, it's, it's, I think, you know, we we talk about Bielsa sort of makes stylistic choices and then you, you sort of live with the cons of those stylistic choices. And one of those is that he wants players who are quick and mobile and able to manipulate space. And the, and the downside to that is that most of those players will be short um, and that means they're not going to be as good at heading. Um, so I, th- I genuinely think it comes down to that. But yeah, very frustrating when you're getting so many corner chances to have very, very little um, to, to really do about that. And then maybe one final question the, on the loot and debrief. Um, Phillips off the boil a little. We've had a couple of questions about players who are a little bit off the boil so Wiggy asks what's happened to KP and Click is my question have they forgotten how to play and then Stevie says which players miss the crowd it looks like our two best wind-up merchants do Click and Ailing but does Calvin so a couple of questions about Calvin there Tom any thoughts on that I don't think Calvin's been particularly off the boil in these three games to be honest he was he was bad in the first half versus Cardiff and uh, I think he massively stepped it up in the second half versus Cardiff and I would say his performances have been around about par in the other two games. Um, I, th- I think if, if, if you want to start poking fingers, he's not the one I'd be poking fingers at. I would agree. I think, I think he's, been, he's been good. I don't think he's been outstanding. I think maybe the game against Luton last night, the fact that they were uh, sitting quite deep means that he wasn't necessarily able to ping his usual diagonal balls um, or not as many of them as he usually does. But on the whole, yeah, I think that he's not been one of the weaker players. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, we should move on then to talk about the Blackburn Rovers game at the weekend. I was lucky enough to talk to Tom Schofield of Rovers Chat, who hosts their 1875 podcast this week. And this is the conversation that we had. I'm joined today by Tom Schofield, writer for Rovers Chat and host of their 1875 podcast. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, I'm not so bad. How's yourself? Yeah, not so bad. I'm not really enjoying the, the turn that the weather's taken. It's, it's not great, is it? It's uh, mm. a bit miserable where I am, certainly. Mm. Typical northern weather, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing makes you more proud to be northern than this kind of weather, is it? Certainly not. <laughs> right, Blackburn Rovers, how has the season gone for you so far? Up and down, I'd say. Um, I think Blackburn fans generally, probably similar to Leeds fans in a way, have a certain expectation. I think that's mainly down to, I guess, our recent history. Obviously, in the past 25, 30 years, doesn't feel recent, but I guess in football terms. Um, so there's an expectation, and I'd say it's gone well, but some expectations haven't been met in a strange way. Up and down. There's been times where we perhaps could have broken into the top six and we've just not quite got the result in the following game, um, similar to the Wigan fixture um, at the weekend. Um, so it's been one of them where you think, what if you look back at results against teams and think, well, if you do that and if, you, if you're an inch taller there, is it looking <laughs> looking like a different season? Um, but I'm going to say, OK, but up and down. Hmm. Just looking through your squad and there's not a huge amount of big championship names in it. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's a huge issue. And I wonder whether or not you actually think it maybe helps you in that um, there isn't quite the expectation that you're getting teams that have those squads that are absolutely lashed full of um, quote-unquote championship talent. No, definitely. I think that it's probably we have a few diamonds in the rough, if you will. Um, I think obviously everyone, like Lords of Bradley Dack, but you look at players like Adam Armstrong, who... I guess really didn't do much at places like Barnsley and Bolton prior to, to ourselves. Um, someone like Tosnader Abayo, who was at West Brom last season, and we've got him on loan this season, has, has really come on leaps and bounds. And Obviously our vice-captain, Darryl Lenehan, who is basically a rocket centre-half. Just they, Like I said, these are players that aren't particularly big, they aren't well-known championship players. I think in a way that works in our favour. Um and obviously there's Lewis Travis as well, I've got to mention him. Um, he's a, just an engine in midfield, um, really fantastic. Who, if I'm, Perhaps I'm being a bit biased, but I, I don't think he's too far off off looking at that, you know, top-end championship, lower-end Premier League, and just, just with the ability he's got and that desire and work rate. He's only 22. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like these players, they aren't big championship names, and I think that works in our favour because it almost means that you know, they aren't honed in on and perhaps teams aren't as aware of them, which hopefully mm. means we'll keep them for longer than we may do if they were well-known championship names. Like, obviously, you've got plenty in Patrick Bamford being obviously one of the, the big ones that seems to be one of those players that has been in the championship and done it consistently forever. You've had a couple of games now post-lockdown to have a look at what Rovers are going to look like in this sort of strange end of season that we're having. What's your take on how you've looked 
oh, chalk and cheese really on the, the two two games we played. Against Bristol City, we just came at the block so fast and you looked at it and you thought, you know, this mini-season, some momentum with that first win. Who knows what can happen? Um, after that win, we were only a point off the playoffs. Um, you looked at that and thought, could we? Can we? Um, and then obviously you come crashing down to earth against Wigan where it was one of those games where I think we had an instance where Dom Samuel um, was about a centimetre off towing a ball in the back of the net and if that goes in am I saying something different to you now and saying yeah been a really good start two wins um, as it happens though it is one win one defeat and I think that's the story of our season really like I said before it, it's it's that nearly it's up and down it, you have one win and all of a sudden you're looking and thinking you know if we win that next one we're, we're in the playoffs you know um, and I guess that's how it started again it's like the expectation for the Wigan game um, and then the Barnsley game coming up before we obviously play yourselves, was that, right, tough game against Leeds. It's going to be a lot more difficult, you'd think. Um, but yeah, it's been up and down. It's just the exact same, really, as the rest of the season. We've not looked poor, but we've not exactly looked like we're going to pull houses down, really. But even still, you're four points away from Cardiff in six at the moment with uh, seven games to play um, as things stand. Is there a chance you're going to creep into the playoffs? There's a chance. There's always a chance. I mean... We've seen it so many times that, you know, how often of teams, like Aston Villa last season, all of a sudden they came out of nowhere. Um, and there's there's potential for it. If somehow we, we beat Barnsley and then obviously we got yourselves and West Brom after that, if we somehow pick up a string of wins there, three wins, you're thinking, well, you know, let's pay attention to Blackburn. But I think if we, we don't beat Barnsley, I would say it's probably over because I just can't see us picking up many points from, from yourself or the, or the West Brom game. You've already mentioned Bradley Dack and obviously Leeds fans are all too aware of him and he's a player that I think many Leeds fans would have liked maybe a couple of seasons ago. Uh, he's injured at the moment. How well have you coped without him? To be fair, not badly. It was a big, big like, hammer blow when he went because um, we were in the middle of a really good run. I think we'd won three or four in a row um, and he was basically dragging us through those games. Like The quality he's got is unbelievable um, and the way he stepped up to the Championship after the League One season has been been immense. Um, so we did think we'd miss him a lot and in instances we do I'd say we don't have a player at the moment that can perhaps create that bit of magic where when you're not having a good game um, he always seems to drag you through we lack that at the moment if everyone's playing poorly Dak's always there to, to drag you through I don't think we have that at the moment and that's the one negative but then a positive aspect is that in a strange way you could argue the team is a bit more balanced without him in the squad because it allows Adam Armstrong to play more central and then we can utilise other out-and-out wingers so I think up and down again I, think, I just keep on saying it don't I but it is just that there's so many positives and negatives to it um it would be good to have him back, though. Um, it would be unbelievable, um, just because of what he brings. Whilst the team might be a bit less balanced, we'll win more games with him in the squad. Let's talk a little bit about Tony Mowbray. It seems as though Rovers fans are largely positive about about him. How would you describe his tactics in particular in in the time that he's been at the club? I think they've differed. He said when he first came, he wanted to play this free-flowing attacking football on the ground, which I guess is strange for a, a former centre-half. But that was, that was very much his philosophy at West Brom. Um, and I guess in League One that wasn't the case. I think in League One that season it was just lumped the ball up to Danny Graham. And I think it was a lot the same last season, just let's use what we've got, use the big man, and then let Dak, Armstrong, these players feed off the scraps. 
this season that's changed a little bit. I think we have tried to play more of a passing game, more wing play. Um, but I wouldn't say it's anything that we've really worked out yet. I don't think Mowbray knows his best team or his best tactics. Um, I think I have to sort of start that I think our starting level against against Barnes, not Barnsley, Wigan, sorry, was about our 30th different one of the season. So we very rarely have a consistent team and a consistent formation. Um, so I'm not too sure what I'd say tactics are. The, Depends who we're against. I imagine against Leeds, it's going to be very much let's defend deep and try and catch them on the counter. Um, and we've got to hope that works and you've got to hope that, that you can break us down and, and obviously make us regret that decision. Yeah, and that's certainly the blueprint of how to beat this Leeds team. So I'm sure he will be considering that. Um, in terms of the season so far, just having looked through the, the, the way that uh, Rovers have been playing this season and it seems as though Mowbray's got a little bit more tactically flexible through the course of the season. Would you say that's fair? Well, definitely I'd agree. I think it was very, at the start of the season, it was a stringent, it was just four two three one. You'd have your your bank of four, then you, your two holding midfielders with almost a, a front four, if you will, mm. um, with Graham perhaps at the top of that, Gallagher at the top of it, Dak in behind, and then you'd have... I guess Mowbray calls them wide forwards. Um, it tended to be, at the start, Gallagher and Armstrong and then maybe Stuart Downing, um, depending on, on the team we were against. Um, so I'd say that's fair. We have got more flexible because I think since post-break, uh, we've been playing around with a 4-3-3, which has worked in fits and flashes. Um, but then we've also utilised a 4-4-2. Um, I'd say we are pretty flexible. We've got a lot of midfielders, that's our issue. And sometimes it's a case of where do we fit them. So Bradley Johnson, who obviously we know a little bit about, he's one of them that you think should be getting in the Blackburn squad. But the issue is it's where do you put him and then do you try and shoehorn someone like him in? Um, but I would agree with with the statement overall that we have looked a lot more flexible. We've not been sticking as stringently to that 4-2-3-1. Four, four, yeah, and you've been playing Stuart Downing as a sort of in the double pivot quite deep. I I noticed I watched back the the game. Um, I think it was the game at the weekend where he played as in the deep, quite deep in that side. So how, how do you feel about that? I think it works in that four three three. Downing has been a revelation, to be honest with you. To have him when he was younger would obviously be a dream, but. Um, just his ability to, he's almost like in American football, there's your, your quarterback in the room, I guess, mm. throws that ball and he, he's the one that, that's making all the plays and, and passing. I guess that's what he's doing. Um, and on his day, I don't I don't think there'd be many better passers than, in the division than him in terms of his, his, his long diagonals and his mm. his accuracy. Um, it works for him. He hasn't got the legs he did. We've played him at the wing and he gets through running, but especially towards the end of the game, he doesn't have that yard to beat his man. Whereas if he just sits, I guess just behind the two midfielders and sprays the ball about it does work. Mm. The issue is he needs protection there. I mean, I think the game before lockdown against Derby, he played that role um, in just the midfield. So he was he was partnered with Travis um, and it didn't work at all. It just, he was so exposed because obviously he can't get through the running that a Travis can or a Corey Evans can. Um, but in that role, if he's got the protection, he's fantastic just because he can pick a pass that no one else in the squad seems to be able to. And you can see his quality. You can see why he played for the big clubs like Liverpool, mm. even if it was at a time when they weren't necessarily 
doing what they're doing right now. Mm. Yeah, I've really enjoyed watching the, a couple of the last games from for Rovers actually because there really is some interesting tactical stuff going on. You've mentioned that four three three, which I've described as a sort of four four two with a, with a diamond because you, you're playing sort of Lewis Holtby as the as the middle striker, but he's obviously playing a bit more close to a ten, right? Yeah, a bit like a false nine, I guess, isn't it? Mm. Just that that play. He's not all, he's not the number nine, but I guess he's the it's the semi-focal point, if you will. I don't mm. know if that's the right way to describe it. No, I, think so. I think that's good. How do you think you're going to set up against Leeds with that in mind, given that you've obviously played the 4-2-3-1, but you've, you are starting to play this sort of 4-3-3 now? I think you'll revert back to that 4-2-3. I think, like like you said, the blueprint that's to, to beat Leeds at the moment, um, as difficult as it can be, is to almost sit back and just catch them on the counter. I think that's what it'll go for. I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Armstrong back in the eleven. Um as that pace at the in a number nine role again, um, have Holtby maybe even Downing in the number ten, um, and then just sit back. I think it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I think my my worry is that we show you too much respect. If you know what I mean, I think that mm. we've got to definitely be wary of the fact that this is the this is the team that's at the top of the championship. Um, you're you're there for a reason, aren't you? You've been brilliant all season, and I mean you're. Just waiting now, really, for it to be confirmed mathematically, aren't you? Um, so we've got to be wary of that, but at the same time, we've got to make sure we don't sit too deep because at that point you will punish us. Um, but I do expect us to revert back to that four-two-three-one and almost, you know, look at that counter and try and just defend for our lives, and then hope that Adam Armstrong's got the pace just to just to beat the centre halves. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment? <sighs> That's the thing. It, it, Corey Evans, who was brilliant against Bristol City, broke his toe, and he'd just come back from a, a five, six month layoff after he um, had his head kicked in after uh, during the Preston game. I think someone said he had to have his eye socket were broken and his, his nose had, had reconstruction. So he'd come back, but broke his toe now. I think that we're without um, a recognised left back at the moment. Um, Amari Bell's injured, as is Derek Williams. Um, and then also you've got. Um, Rankin Costello, who played there against um, Bristol City, he's also injured. So it, on the injury front, it's not looking too good. I think Mowbray said in his press conference today that there's a few players that are going to be playing very uncomfortably just because, obviously, the muscle injuries, I guess, muscle fatigue. Um, and obviously they've not a proper pre-season, have they? It's been very much just get back in there um, and, and, and go for it, so... Yeah, I, it's not looking fantastic on the injury front. Um, whereas before the Bristol City game, it seemed to be apart from Williams and Bell, a, a fully fit squad. So that's been a little bit disappointing. So how do you think you're going to line up um, on Saturday? Then what's the lineup going to be? Like I said, I'd probably go. Walton would be in goal. I imagine Nyambi will fill in at right back um, with Adarabayo and Lenihan, um, the centre half pairing, and then left back probably be Elliot Bennett. And he's so out of position, so exposed there, but not too sure who else we play. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Travis um, and Johnson in the midfield role, holding midfield role, mm. and then um, Downing um, and Rothwell out wide with um, Holtby in number 10 and Armstrong um, oh. as that number nine. Um, just because, like I say, I think we need to um, need to utilise the pace, but also need that that creative and, and downing offers some defensive duty work as well. So um, I won't be surprised if that that was the that was the team and the formation. Um, obviously, making sure everyone's everyone's fit and ready. Which player are you always wary of when you face a lead? <sighs> a variety, obviously. I think Calvin Phillips, is someone I rate very highly. 
Um, obviously, more that holding player, isn't he? Um, but his ability is fantastic. And, and Bamford, I know Bamford gets quite a lot of stick from, um, or at least on social media, from what I see, gets a bit of stick from from Leeds fans. But he's always a danger. He always looks dangerous on the ball. Um, so I'd probably say Phillips and Bamford, probably the two most well-known names, I guess, aren't they, in your squad? Mm. Um, but two players that are fantastic and I'm brilliantly jealous of you for having that quality at your disposal. Um, I also like Luke Ayling, uh, mm. right back. Um, don't know why. <laughs> just whenever I see him play, just always seems to put in a good performance. So I know he's not necessarily a Mr. Not, not flamboyant or anything, is he? He's, he's certainly not anything but... I, I do like him quite a lot as well mm. at right back. Yeah, and he's really come on this season as well. I think that's a savvy pick. And what about yourselves? Which player should Leeds look out for? I think Adam Armstrong. Um, he's been the man that's sort of become the focal point for us since Dak's injury. Um, he's the one that will be our main goal threat. I mean, Lewis Holtby as well, but it's only in fits and flash at the moment. You can really see the quality that he possesses. You can see why Tottenham bought him and, and why he's got international caps for Germany but he doesn't do it consistently enough I think he's not quite got used to the intensity of the championship yet mm. um, and then obviously Stuart Denning like I said before as well he's another one that just seems to be able to you know he still has that quality and not quite what he was um, but still has that quality and I'm also going to pick out uh, Tosin Adarabayo I know I've picked out four there really <laughs> um, but Adarabayo at centre half from on loan from Manchester City, you can see like the training that he's been under through through like Pep Guardiola and stuff. Just his ability to to pick a pass and play it from the back um, sometimes gets us into trouble. Um, but on his day, um, he's brilliant at it. Hmm. Um, now I don't ever ask for predictions because you know predictions are predictions. You're welcome to give a prediction, but the question I ask is, how do you expect the goat game to unfold on uh, Saturday? I think it'll be a case of keep you at bay for as long as possible. Um, Try and, you know, maybe hold on until the 60th minute, 70th minute, and it's still nil-nil, and hope that you tire yourselves out, just pushing. Obviously, Bielsa has got you trained brilliantly, and your fitness levels are unbelievable. Um, but I think that'll be the plan, just hold on for as long as possible, and then hope that there's a time when perhaps we can counter, and we can um, go out and get that goal that, that perhaps gets us a victory or, or saves us a point. Um, I don't expect us to come at you. Um, I fully anticipate it to be a game that you dominate, um, certain, more certainly possession-wise, um, and probably in, in shots and chances created, um, just because I think that Morbury's going to have to look at it and think that tactically we aren't going to be able to out-tactic you, if you will. Mm. Um, we aren't going to be able to, to play a high press because you'll pass around us. Um, so it's important that I guess we take that into account and just look at it and think well let's try and just frustrate them and then go for the kill that's i think that's i think it's going to have to work out for us um i think if you get an early goal um that'll kill us well tom thank you so much for for chatting with us if people want to follow your stuff how how should they best get come across it yeah so we have a two twitter accounts um the first one is simply just at rovers underscore chat and then we also have um a Twitter account dedicated to um, our podcast, which is simply at 1875pod. Cool. Well, thanks very much, Tom. No, no problem at all. Enjoyed it. So that was Tom Schofield of Rovers Chat and the host of their 1875 podcast. Joe, what did you make of that? It was really interesting to hear his his take on it. I think the one the one positive thing that well, there was quite a few positives to take away from it, but um, obviously it was recorded before the games 
last night and he did mention that if they don't beat Barnsley then it's probably over in terms of the playoffs for them and they they did lose to Barnsley so that does uh, give fill me with a bit of positivity that hopefully they'll be uh, just winding down the, their season now um, and they did also get a man sent off I can't can't remember who it was um, but Bre- Brereton Brereton got ben sent Brereton, off yeah. yeah so he came on as a sub and then he got straight red carded so uh, they'll be they'll be missing him and also he mentioned that Corey Evans is is out um, who scored against Bristol so I think there's definitely quite a few positives to take from that yeah I think I, I mean I think just looking at their form since the resumption of football as well um, they, they've they lost to Wigan they've lost to Barnsley I mean they beat Bristol City but I think I could beat Bristol City Um I, I, I honestly don't take anything into any team beating Bristol City because I think they're, they are the most brittle team in the league I think so it's it's interesting that they've lost to the kinds of teams that you would expect to do a defensive number on us I'm not sure what that says about the game on Saturday um whether they'll then try and do the same thing that Luton did I'm not sure yeah so we had a question about poor run from Sam from uh, Blackburn's poor run from Sam so he says, how have Blackburn been re- performing recently? They strike me as a dull but efficient side. Armstrong being the most dangerous outlet. Did they deserve to lose against Barnsley and Wigan? I've looked up the XG maps for, for both of those games and they were pretty similar, actually. They lost 2-0 both occasions. The um, the opposition o- slightly overperformed their XG, but they all, in both cases, had a higher XG than, than Blackburn, who basically got about one XG but didn't score. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Uh, interesting thing about Blackburn is that I think a lot of people just assume that because Tony Mowbray coaches them that they're they're going to sit back and and dig in and 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 sit deep maybe that's the case maybe they're going to come out like that against us but um one thing I've noticed from the last few games is just how attacking they are um they they play their fullbacks higher I think than I've I've ever seen in the championship it's like watching Real Madrid playing uh, against a lower La Liga side um so they just they, they they leave their two centre backs under a huge amount of pressure, um, and yeah they yeah they drop their centre midfielder in to sort of make it into a midfield three, or at least they did yesterday against Barnsley. But against Wigan, against Wigan, they just they just had the two centre backs back, and then they were just so exploitable down the wide channels. Um, if they do that against Leeds, they will they will lose, especially because they're playing ultra attacking football and just about creating one xg chance in both of those games so i think that could be the story of the game if they sit deep yeah who knows what will happen but if they if they do come out and they do need to come out you know they can't sit back and defend now they they do have an outside chance of of uh, getting to the playoffs um so yeah between the two things that you know their their season is pretty much running out of steam and the fact that they there is still a chance they could get playoffs hopefully that means that they're not going to sit that deep um, and hopefully we can exploit them down the wide areas um we've already mentioned the game against uh, Barnsley yesterday again interesting interesting ta- tactically i find mowbray quite interesting so we talked a little bit with tom just about the fact that that they tended to use a 4231 in the early parts of the season but they've started playing this what he called a 433 what i would usually call a a 4 Four four two with a diamond. So, um, if you look at, I've got the um, transfer market um, team sheet on on there. They've got Lewis Holtby as a sort of striker, but as um, uh, as Tom mentioned in the in the preview, he was saying um, Holtby sort of plays as a false nine. Um, and then you have Yab Armstrong and Dom Samuel uh, as as the as the sort of two strikers, and then a midfield three. Um, and if they do that again, you know they push up their they push up their wing backs because when you play in that sort of four four two diamond, it makes it makes you very very narrow. Um, 
because you you sort of have a defensive midfielder and then two central midfielders in front of them and then an attacking midfielder and and then your two strikers and there's a lot of space down the wings now that can work well if you have the opportunity to play your your fullbacks in deep and they'll be playing probably Elliot Bennett and Ryan Niambe um which will be it'll be interesting to see how they play that they may just revert to the 4-2-3-1 which is what Tom thought they might do um but it, I thought it was a really interesting um, there's a really sort of interesting tactical tweaks going on there with with Mowbray which which surprised me a little bit but um in terms of in terms of the, the of, of Blackburn he, he I guess Tom was saying he just feels as though they're sort of nearly men all the time they're within they're always within sort of a, a number of points of the playoffs but they just don't quite get the right results when they need them um how are we feeling about them from that respect do we do we feel as though that they're a team who could beat us or do we feel as though they're a team who are sort of going to fold over quite easily and they're not going to they're not going to care enough to actually put in a big defensive shift Tom I'm sure they'll be up for it uh, every team is up for it against us you know I, I think that people don't want to be humiliated do they and I think I think if if you properly don't try against Leeds then you, you will get humiliated so I think I think that's a big motivation for any professional footballer no matter what um and I, th- I think Blackburn do have some dangerous players as well I'm always quite scared of Charlie Mulgrew um his delivery from set pieces is really really good uh and I just like the idea of a central defender who takes free kicks anyway. Like that appeals to me aesthetically. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I, I I must admit, I've not watched a great deal of Blackburn this season, so I don't really don't feel I can comment with that much authority on it. But um, I, I I would be surprised if they weren't at least up for the fight. Yeah, they're an interesting team. Like even for like, I watched a couple of their games back because when I do the tactic tactics previews, I like to have uh, watched them <laughs> a decent a decent amount. Um, and so I've watched uh, a game they play the the, the four four two diamond and a game where they play four two three one. Um, and you know, there's so many players on their their team who I'm just like, oh, I don't really know this guy. I've not not really come across this guy, and I, I sort of made that point in the in the interview. So there's not a huge amount of big 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 name players in there. You've got championship players. You've got Bradley Johnson, who we'll all know, um, and then Stuart Downing playing a really interesting sort of deep lying role, um, quarterbacking. Uh, but apart from that, Tosin Adarabaya, we like we know about him because he's been on loan a few places, and he's obviously going to be a good player. Um, but he's again he's on loan. But beyond that, you know, yeah, Adam Adam Armstrong. Everyone knows Lewis Holtby, but um, there's a lot of players in there who sort of go beneath the radar. And I think Mowbray's done a really good job of making this a solid mid-table side with with the resources he has at hand um so yeah i think we have to approach the game with that in mind you know this isn't just this isn't just any old everyone i think everyone's a bit dismissive of blackburn because they're like well you know they won a premier league and now we'll look where they are but this is a really really functional side this is they they do everything well um they're well drilled um and they they look they they have attacking ambitions which is the hardest thing to drill as a manager any anyone can do what nathan jones did last night and stick your team in a five-three-two and hold out. Yes, that requires a certain amount of of structure and drilling, but you know it, it's essentially you're just sort of saying to people, stay in this place, make sure this player is behind you, and this player is in front of you, and this player is to your right and left. Um, but Mowbray is trying to he's trying to do something a little bit more. He is trying to create chances. Yeah, it's not working out, but uh, like what what do you expect? It's 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 a tough thing to do. So I'm 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 looking forward to to seeing this. But Joe, how do you expect the game to go? I think what Tom was saying earlier was was right in that they they will be up for it because it is against Leeds. Um, even if their hopes of the playoffs have gone, or maybe this is their last chance um, to get in the playoffs, you know they really sort of have to win this. So I think they will be up for it. But um, at, the, at the same time, I'm not sure they will 
come steaming right out of the blocks um, and attacking from the first minute. I think they'll do what teams normally do and sit back for the first 20, 30, make it to half-time at nil-nil and then sort of reassess from there. But from a Leeds point of view, I think uh, looking at the rest of the fixtures uh, this season, whether you think we need three wins or four wins or whatever whatever you think, um, most people are looking to this one as a game that Leeds should be winning as, as part of those three or four games. Um, so I'm not sure if... Uh, it's on the starting lineup for Leeds, obviously there's a few injury worries and I'm hoping to see Hernandez starting and hoping to see him fit enough to start. And I think if he does, then he, he will be the key and I think we should be able to unlock Blackburn's defence. Hmm. Tom, I don't. I can't remember if you're someone who likes to give predictions, but how how do you expect the game to go? Um, yeah, I, I, it's the thing is, it's not even a case as uh, Joe was just saying of getting to half time. Now it's a case of getting to the drinks break, isn't it? <laughs> um, so you know, if we can hold on till the drinks break, then we might be okay. It'll probably be saying, but yeah, I, I agree with you, John. That I think Tony Mowbray does get a bad rap because I remember his West Brom team back in the day were a very technical side, a very possession based side, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's just because of you know, his face looks like a mountain or something that people assume that he's going to play, you know, agricultural football. But mm. um, he was a centre-back as well. I think that inf- yeah, inf- yeah. affects that sort of view, doesn't it? Yeah. But despite that, I, I, w- I would be surprised if they don't play fairly defensively, at least, as Joe said, for the first 20, 30 minutes. And uh, to briefly go back to Luton, I think we could have really punished them in the first 15 minutes and we didn't. I think they looked really quite hapless defensively be- for the first 15 20 minutes and we didn't go direct enough and I'm normally I'm normally telling us in the first 15 20 minutes we need to keep the ball more but I really think we should have been more direct in the first 10 or 15 against Luton and and if and if they're if Blackburn still look like they're struggling to get their shit together essentially like mm. Luton were we should be really trying to punish them yeah uh, there are big questions I think for us about just being too passive particularly in the first 15 minutes of games and you know sometimes that works in our favour and sometimes it doesn't and I think largely it doesn't but yeah it will be interesting to see how this one unfolds so that game is on Saturday lunchtime it's Saturday three o'clock right yeah it's a Saturday three o'clock game so enjoy the game just housekeeping stuff as always do keep checking out our Twitter we're putting a lot of stuff out on there we've got some exciting news to be able to um, reveal at some point in the next week or so over on Twitter so keep an eye out for that a reminder that we have a Patreon channel. The Patreon channel is a way that you can support us financially, but you get decent content as well in response to that. So if you do subscribe, we're trying to get out a Patreon episode every week at the moment. The support that you give us allows us to pay the people who help us out. It allows us to get hold of data and it allows us to create better content as a result of that. So thank you for that. Three people who've signed up this week are Jake Drukas, James Holt-Martin and Erland Scarvang. So thank you guys. If you want to join the Patreon and see what goes on over there just go to patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and you can have a look there if you do sign up you are able to get all of the content that has gone up there since we started that at the beginning of the season other than that nothing to say except thank you tom no worries and thank you joe cheers thanks very much and we'll be chatting again on sunday and hopefully it will be good news when we chat so see you then
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.